Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bannum. And in this episode, I'm going to be chatting with the awesome, wonderful, fantastic Ben Brooks, top 100 HR tech influencer, principal and business coach at B2 Professional Services, Inc., and founder and CEO at Pilot, Inc., a career management tech platform designed to support and enable both business leaders and employees to make work more satisfying and fulfilling. Ben, welcome to the show today. Bill, glad to be here. And there are so many different directions I could have taken this interview in with you today. As you know, lots of stuff about uh, lots of different things. Um, But for for the purposes of our listeners, so they know what to expect, largely we're going to focus on um, the HR tech landscape. And we're also going to talk a little bit about soft skills and and mentoring today. So let's get into it. And let's start by talking a little bit about HR tech. In your opinion, Ben, how are HR leaders and HR tech buyers getting back on the proverbial horse in terms of refocusing and investing in areas like like DNI? Well, you know, it's been uh, a real hell of a year and a half for people in HR. And I write a column for HR Executive Magazine and I talk about, you know, you think about having to lay people off and close offices and do remote work and, you know, and furlough and then, you know, rehire and vaccinations and, you know, it's just, you know, you know, DEI, there's just been so much. And so, you know, HR has is exhausted and worn out. So if you're an HR person, I hope you're getting some some holiday this summer and to, to refocus some things because the demand for HR is only increasing. You know, I think what a lot of business leaders have seen throughout the pandemic is that HR is an even more strategic and critical function, including the technology investments around it. And I've spoken to some some folks at some of the top recruiting firms that had that place heads of HR, and they said at a number of, of Fortune 500 companies, the heads of HR um, are being replaced if they feel that they weren't you know active in leadership, and because HR is being looked at as a critical thing going forward. So what we're seeing around the country in the United States and around the world is uh, HR is really you know uh, things are back. There's a, a return to office, and there's a big shift to hybrid work, which is going to have massive second and third level order consequences. And, you know, as you said, around DNI, employee expectations are still very high. And as we know, it's very difficult to drive change in general, let alone around such a challenging area as DNI and an important one. And so, um, you know, the stakes have never been higher for HR. We'll be right back after this quick message from today's sponsor. Congratulations. After extensive research and interviews, you found the right applicant to fill your open position. They had a perfect resume, a professional attitude. But are you sure they are who they say they are? Did you know that 22% of candidates lie on their resume? At Mintz, we believe better safe than sorry. Check us out at mintzglobalscreening.com. You mentioned just now uh, that there are going to be a lot of challenges when it comes to creating and maintaining a, a hybrid workplace, a hybrid workforce. A few examples of, of, of some of the maybe the big concerns that you're hearing from from uh, the C-suite and from HR leaders in terms of how on earth they go about managing that when it comes to things like some folk will be OK to go back to the office and they want to do it full time. Others perhaps will be terrified. Yeah, it's, you know, remote work and hybrid work are very different. I think we kind of collapse them and think of them as the same. 
But if you think of a, you know, when we were all 100% remote, it's actually a level playing field, right? Everyone's dealing, you know, in the same conditions, uh, which is, you know, we're working through Slack and Zoom and Teams and Asana. And when it comes to hybrid, you have a couple different challenges that organizations are figuring out. One, just some of the logistics of, you know, which days can you count on employees being in the office or not? Do you have enough space for them? And, you know, when will they be with their colleague or not? Uh, but, but you know, and there's obviously tax issues if people move to different places or work, you know, partially remotely. But a bigger thing is this idea of, you know, the employee is going to have potentially two employee experiences. Think of the employee experience at the office, which is one thing, which a lot of companies have designed employee experience really related to physicality, you know, with things like, you know, cold brew coffee and kombucha in the break room or guest speakers and events or how the office is decorated. Uh, but then you have a different employee experience, which is at people's kitchen table or in their home office. And that's often done on a MacBook or a Lenovo or a Dell computer. And it's a very different, more tech-driven employee experience. And so the, you know, toggling between those two in a given week for an employee could definitely be you know, disorienting for the employee because what it takes to be successful in those two contexts is very, very different. It's almost like you have two different jobs. There's also a real inclusion concern, uh, communication and inclusion, because you know, there's, a, there's a saying, you know, if you wanna you know, have power, be close to those who are making the decisions. And not everyone's gonna have the same ability to be into the office. And so you may have a hybrid schedule where people can work from home two or three days a week, but some people may choose to be in the office five days a week. And they may have more influence or more opportunities or be more visible than those who don't, even if that's the policy that they're allowed to be virtual. And so that's what a lot of organizations are looking through and thinking about is what is that employee experience and how do we manage inclusion in the context of hybrid? And what's the answer? Because, you know, for the last uh, 16 months or so, we've all been talking about, for example, a, a global talent pool and how uh, one of the one of the silver linings in, in COVID, Ben, has been the fact that uh, leaders can can look beyond their, their, their immediate vicinity to, to have working relationships with people. What I'm hearing from you is that the reality is uh, those who are in the office are still going to get uh, a bit of a jump on folk who physically can't be in or don't want to be in the office. Is, is there an answer to that? Are there ways that we can put checks in place? Or is the reality this old school approach that you've got to be face to face to to climb the ladder? It's a great question and it's a complicated answer. You know, it, obviously people based on even where they are in their careers may have different attitudes about going into the office. You know, if you're younger, you know, you want to network and get exposure to things and work on special projects and be mentored. And that can often happen much more effectively in person. And, you know, if you're older, you may have kids, you may have moved out further away from city centers, you may have other people you have to take care of in your life. And so the idea of spending a lot of time commuting on a train or in your car is far less appealing. Uh, younger people often they meet you know friends and romantic partners at work and things as well and so those can again be very different forces pulling in those different directions i can tell you as a remote company you know you have to think very differently in how work gets done and it was before the pandemic people would often sort of pat us on the head and you know be sort of sad for the fact that we didn't have an office and we were the remote and we would get together in person you know for offsites and things like that but everyone thought it was sort of a a second class employee experience, but you know, it unlocks a lot of productivity and flexibility for, for our staff. And you know, a big part of that is reducing meetings. It's one of the most important things if you're gonna have hybrid and remote 
work is you have to have fewer meetings, but at the same time, you have to increase trust and communication. And meetings are often a way that we attempt to do those things. They're a fairly poor way to do it. And most people are fairly dissatisfied with their meetings. There's a lot of upside in increasing meeting hygiene. But I know a big thing is, you know, do you allow for asynchronous work where you don't have to be always meeting and doing things at the same time and same place? And that's both, you know, technology and, and process, but also culture and making sure that you, you know, still establish a high degree of of trust and close relationships with folks, which are, which is not easy to do. Do you ever see a, a situation, Ben, where where Pilot would have a, a physical office where you would have employees, or or have you have you now experienced um, the, the full range of what it means to to be a fully remote workforce uh, through through good times and through bad, and therefore, you know, you, you don't think you'd ever need uh, that physical location. You know, I, here in Manhattan, I've had a, a co-working space uh, at a kind of swanky place that is, is a great place that sometimes people like to meet in person, you know, customers or partners. And then when we get together in person, you know, for offsites a couple times a year, um, I do see us maybe having a small office in the future, or again, a, a place to convene occasionally. Uh, but, you know, I think that we're going to get better talent and have the, the culture and performance we want when we're less rooted in that. Plus, you know, our customers like that we have an affordable product. Part of our mission is for everyone to feel powerful at work and to scale and democratize coaching and development and mentoring. Uh, keeping our prices affordable is important. And so having less overhead by not having a big, uh, head, you know, glamorous headquarters office helps us extend lower prices to our customers. So I see us having some sort of physical presence. I think it's not an either or, but what we tend to find is that the idea of a business trip to come together for an offsite somewhere and getting to, you know, we've got people in Corpus Christi, Texas, or we have folks in Chicago and people in Colorado Springs and all over the United States and even the world. And the idea about to be able to convene and, and to get away from one's family and to get to go to another place and to have your expenses paid for, have some nice dinners, some fun events, we do a cooking class or you know, we've done painting classes and other fun things and we're together. It's a real perk and a part of the experience, but it's just something that we do a couple of times a year. Let's now continue the conversation and uh, talk a bit about tech adoption. So over the last 16 to 18 months, um, firms have they've been given an opportunity, actually, uh, to, to future-proof their organizations against potential future crises, right? Um, in your opinion, how has new tech adoption differentiated the companies that have jumped on board compared to others who didn't future-proof during the pandemic? And I'd love, if, if you can, maybe for you to, to offer a couple of examples of companies that you really respect in terms of instilling certain technologies that maybe augment or, or assist their employees. So, you know, uh, I, I can you know, tell you that uh, my, my old boss, the one that got me into HR, he worked at Coca-Cola, and this was you know, many years ago, and they had, um, I don't remember if it was, um, if it was uh, SARS or if it was something else, but they had an, you know, an event, right? Kind of black swan event like they have with the pandemic. And they used to have this global leadership conference that was in person and they moved it to this virtual remote thing and they invited the whole company to attend. And it was a, you know, a constraint or a force-based moment, but it allowed much more inclusion and transparency. And they continued it in a virtual sense going forward. And I think a lot of organizations are learning a lot from you know what is effective virtually and not and obviously you can buy software you can buy slack and asana and dropbox and a bunch of other different tools you know zoom etc but to your point around adoption is you know just because you buy it doesn't mean that people will use it or that they will use it effectively you know slack 
for all of its strengths is, you know, a major source of complaints and frustration and toxicity and drama at many organizations if it's not implemented properly. Uh, you know, especially with younger employees sort of confusing the role of the employer or what you talk about maybe at work and what you don't, um, or even inexperienced managers, you know, um, managing extensively through Slack uh, for sensitive conversations that maybe would be best delivered on a call or a Zoom uh, and, and not always, you know, put in, put in writing where they can be taken out of context. And so, you know, it's been a really interesting you know, learning curve for organizations as they've used these things. As simple as being on camera or having a photo that people, you know, many professionals don't even have a photo that they, uh, you know, have, that they're proud of or that they feel good about. And now we have all these profiles and all these systems that, you know, ask you for a photo and it looks a little sketchy to have just that little gray silhouette. And most people didn't have an environment at home where they would feel comfortable being on camera, whether it was lit properly or decorated or appointed or, or orderly, et cetera. So even some of the environmental factors, and you could buy Zoom licenses or Teams licenses for everyone, but do people feel comfortable and know how to, if you've got a sales team, for instance, do they know how to kind of put their best foot forward when competing and pitching for business virtually? There's a lot of soft skills that tie in with these systems. And some of the organizations, uh, MetLife being one of them that we work with, um, has done a really good job of not just deploying some of the technology, and they're frankly not, not overly uh, innovative in the technology aspect. They're doing kind of, you know, kind of midpoint sort of things, but what they've really invested in is the soft skills to say, how, do you, how are you effective at building your relationships and your, your, your reputation virtually? You know, how do you create effective connection for people that were very used to getting on airplanes and you know getting in rental cars and Ubers and showing up in person and taking people to steak dinners and football games, it was a very different game to do it all through a computer. If any uh, any of the legal department of Slack are listening, the views and opinions of our guests are entirely their own. Okay, let's uh, let, <laughs> let's continue through. Um, so as part of my homework, I, I came across a, a pretty interesting interview that you did uh, with University Business Magazine, I believe. And in it, uh, you, you spoke about five five soft skills that are most in demand. And obviously right now, Ben, we, we're going through the, the fiercest war for talent perhaps ever. You know, lots of, lots of folk were laid off and now uh, companies are busy trying to rehire and get amazing talent. But uh, it's, it's a challenge. It's a seller's market out there. And... Mm -hmm. um, um, I, I guess many candidates perhaps feel that they can be a little bit more relaxed about getting a half decent job, but the, the, the candidates who want to get the best jobs and become the best possible employees, they, they need to have the, the, the best soft skills, I, I imagine. And you speak about five of these. Can, can, you, uh, can you share the, the five most in-demand soft skills with our listeners? Yes. And, and to be clear, also, we are a paid, uh, we are a, a paying Slack customer and happy customer too. So no, no, <laughs> no, no diss on Slack. It's just, you know, things can have unintended uh, consequences, these tools. And I think it ties to the question about the soft skills is, you know, that, you know, we looked at some research from Georgetown University, had done some research on this. And there's, you know, there's a lot of different studies and in, in things in general, but to the point around the, the bigger picture is the soft skills. There's a lot of focus in learning and development and training on the technical, right? Do I know how to you know, does a, does a candidate or an employee, you know, have the competencies to succeed in their role technically, but, you know, you may know how to program, you know, if you're an engineer, you may know how to sell if you're a salesperson, you may know how to, you know, design and, and run processes if you're in operations, but 
can you work with your colleagues? Can you get along? Can you have influence? Can you solve problems? Can you build relationships? And so those are often rooted in communication and what communication looks like, again, through these tools and asynchronously can be very different. You know, a sense of collaboration or teamwork that very little gets done with kind of me or I, it's very much the we. Um, you know, this idea of providing service, both externally, but also internally. Many, you know, functional employees, you know, you have internal clients and customers, but we're not always teaching those folks. If someone, you know, worked at the, the Four Seasons Hotel or British Airways, they would be trained in service, but we're not always training people to provide service internally. They're just technically good at what they do, but they don't know how to do the service part. The idea of leadership and leading from every seat so often our assumptions about leadership is it's rooted in authority or power. It's a role or it's a level. But we all know people that have been in senior roles that aren't leaders. And we also know people conversely that have not been in senior roles, but absolutely are leaders. So it's more of a set of behaviors. And you can lead from any seat. That's the thing we hear from heads of HR all the time is they want employees leading from every seat in the organization. Then ultimately, the analytical skills to solve problems that are complex, you know, the pace of change is faster than ever. You know, the best HR departments in the last year and a half were the best problem solvers. They found creative and thoughtful approaches. And so you need people not just making decisions at the top, but you know, on the day-to-day -to, -day to, to be effective and to be thoughtful and take care of customers and manage risk and uh, balance the needs of many different stakeholders. So those are the things that you can see, you know, that if you're running cross-functional teams, virtually working on innovative or new projects and you're onboarding talent that's remote, that's new, the, you know, they may all have the right, right pedigree from, from university. They may have worked at some of the right companies, but can they actually get along and can they, you know, work together and can they manage conflict? Can they build these relationships? Oftentimes those are massively underrated by both HR and management. And yet it's often the difference that makes the difference in performance. Well, hopefully with the right mentorship, Ben, uh, some of those are learned behaviors, which is a lovely lead on to, to mm -hmm. my, next, <laughs> my next question. Um, so I understand that Pilot's new turnkey scaled mentoring product claims to empower HR leaders to identify five executives to be, to be mentors. Um, we've spoken quite a bit on this show before about the, the value of mentorship for, for employees generally, for, for those at the C-suite and so on and so on and so forth. But specifically when it comes to why do they need mentorship? What does that bring to, to their role? Yeah, there's a, you know, research that says when it comes to retaining information, the number one best way to retain is to actually teach others. And so sometimes we think about the benefit of mentoring is the mentee, but there's a huge benefit to the mentor in taking the time to reflect on what has made them successful? What might they have wanted to do differently? What advice do they have? You know, what are the things that are the most important? What do they wish they learned earlier in their career? So there's a huge benefit to the mentor. What we did with Pilot is our customers said, you know, mentoring, we, we've seen some research that it's the one of the highest, if not the highest affinity term and um, you know, program in all of HR. People, you know, if you if you were to rate it and say, hey, what do you think of it? Everyone is thinks it's wonderful. But the reality is that, you know, that, you know, with mentoring, it's very hard to implement and very hard to sustain. Typically, you've got way too many mentees and not enough mentors. And you often find that mentoring, you know, can fizzle out pretty quickly 
with both parties not really knowing how to sustain it because it's sort of inefficient, despite the fact that everyone's excited. And so what we did with Pilot is we said, we listened to our customers and their problems, which is always informs our solutions as, as our customers. And we said, let's you know mimic what happens often at senior executive levels, which is these sort of fireside chats where at a, at a conference and an event to castle outside of London or a golf course in Arizona or somewhere else, you, you sit down and you have a very casual conversation reflecting on what makes someone successful, mistakes that they've made, et cetera. And it's quite inspiring, but it's also very efficient because it's facilitated, it's structured, and you touch multiple people. And often they get to hear multiple different perspectives because I may be from a different demographic, from a DNI perspective. I may be a new joiner to the organization versus someone who's been there for a long time. All those things will affect my worldview and what I might offer. And so that's what we've really developed is a, a far more structured, far more scalable, far more efficient way to provide the mentoring and to reinforce the shared development plan that we've built into our product, which is the 80-20 of what most people need to work on in their career. So we structure those conversations to have the mentors opine on those same principles as well. Super. And just finally for today, Ben, how can our listeners connect with you personally? So maybe that's through email, maybe maybe you'd like to offer your LinkedIn details. And also, how can they learn more about B2 Professional Services and Pilot? That's great. Yeah, I would love to connect with anyone that's listening. And if this has been engaging, I'd love to connect. I share a lot online, uh, videos, resources, columns, other things that other great smart people put together. So I try to uh, really push value to, to the, my community and network. LinkedIn is the best place to do that. And Ben Brooks, you can find me very findable there on Twitter, Ben Brooks NY. Uh, Pilot's website is www.pilot.coach, C-O-A-C-H, pilot.coach. Um, and then uh, Ben Brooks NY is in newyork.com for my private coaching practice. All of those are, are ways to get me, but LinkedIn is probably the best one. And uh, if I can be a value um, you know, in your network and what you're up to, uh, would love to know um, and and support you and really just encourage anyone listening to this that you know that this is a, a wonderful moment in time for HR to really step out and stand up and there's a real openness you know there's in my my career my experience there's so much resistance from resistance from management and IT and finance to HR driving change HR often knows the right thing to do wants the right thing to do but it's so hard to convince fellow executive colleagues of that. And right now there is such an openness to trying new things, to changing policies, to spending money, to investing in new things, you know, processes. This is a major opening. Don't, don't let this go to waste. Awesome. I completely agree. Uh, and that just leaves me to say today, Ben Brooks, who's got fantastic initials, by the way, Ben Brooks, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Glad yeah. to be here. Thank you. And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast, brought to you by the HR Gazette.